So with the songs of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and the angels along with the shepherds, it's the ultimate Christmas playlist today. And we continue our Advent journey through the quintessential Christmas story of Luke 1 and 2 and Luke's Gospel through a song from silence, a song of obedience, and a song of joy. Welcome you to use the version event. It's all there, all the notes, and you can find that. And uh, appreciate Rick and everyone helping out last week while we went away to Pleasant Hill, which is a Shaker village in Kentucky. We almost had the whole place to ourselves. There's like 300 hotel rooms. There are like four of us there and 300 different. You stay in the, you stay in the, old, the building. So we stayed in the building from 1812. So it's really cool, a really cool place. And they canceled a lot of the events, but it was nice to get away. And apparently here there was a lot of commotion and a lot of chaos and uh, apparently a lot of fun. Page two of the script didn't apparently print out, so everybody was scurrying around. I was watching it. I was like going, what are they doing? They're running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. I know, right? It was fine. Yeah. It was all good. Today we continue with our Polaroid instant snapshots. And so I'd forgotten to bring it the first week, but there it is. This is the camera my parents used. One like it. And then the film was like that thick. So it's like a cardboard you put on. It was on cardboard. You could put your picture on it and you could put the film on it. It even smells like it when you pull it out of the, this little box. And so maybe, you know, you've, you've got some Polaroids that stir up some memories in you. You know, you, those things you got at some point along the way. So I've got a Polaroid of one of my Christmases. It's one of my favorite Christmases. You're going to, yeah. So that's in that's in Philadelphia where I went last year after Christmas and found where, where I lived on the base where all the houses are abandoned and we spread my dad's ashes and uh, some of them at least. And one of my favorite gifts that year was Evil Knievel. You put it on this thing and you wor- and you whirled it up and then you push the button and you let it go. And they made it again. They made it again this year. So I was like, I'm getting one of those. So there it is, Evil Knievel. He was the best. And I look at it and go, well, I like that thing. But oh, that's the way it works. Or your big wheel or your green machine or Big Jim or all these other things. And those, those favorite pictures or those, those Christmas portraits are some of those things you look back on and you really think about what it was like to be four or five years old. And be so excited about those things. And you probably have found that the same way with your favorite gospel for Advent as you've been going through these different gospels and looking at them. And it might be that even for the Lucans among us that you love Luke too. That's your favorite. Matthew's my favorite. I just happen to be a Matthew. But we don't always line up with that. But you think about Luke, it's one of them that contains the stories we consider the heart of the season. So let's look at that today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, may the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. May they speak to our hearts. May they be things that even I don't say that somehow stir up in us a connection with your spirit that I don't even know. Let your words ring true and go back to your story. In Jesus' name we pray both here and at home. Everybody said, Amen.
Luke has that poignant relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. It has the beautiful words of Mary's song, Magnificat. It has the story we most hear often on Christmas Eve of the shepherds' visit by the angels and the joyful announcement of Jesus' birth. You know, the one that Linus Van Pelt told us was Christmas all about, and we'll see it again tonight. And the most powerful statements. Luke is also unique in how he writes the Christmas story. You see, in Mark we saw he wrote with an immediate urgency and just the facts, a narrative kind of style. He doesn't even have Jesus' birth. And Matthew wrote with an ominous tone that we will come back to at Epiphany as we close the story with Joseph and Herod and the Magi. And John, which we'll discover next week, wrote with a poetic pen. But Luke wrote with a song in his head. There's no other way to explain why nearly every major character in Luke's nativity story breaks out into song at some point. Luke is a lot like a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical or whoever you want to think about your favorite musical. Something happens to someone and then all of a sudden they sing about it. That's how a musical works. So McGray says, if Mark is like a Reader's Digest and Matthew is like a Stephen King novel and John's like a Shakespearean play, then Luke is like a Broadway musical. Who likes Broadway musicals? Anybody like those in here? Oh, Louise, Broadway musical fan. Louise is a great dancer. That's why she likes Broadway musicals so much. So maybe some of you at home are also musical fans. I love those. I actually watched A Night on Broadway this week. It's kind of disheartening to, to see them. There are millions of people who are involved in the entertainment industry and, and in, in arts who are without jobs. Last night the symphony was showing and trying to raise money as well because they are in desperate need because these are the kind of things that you know, they're not making up all the money they're losing by all these tickets. But this one night on Broadway was incredible. My, my favorite new show I haven't even seen yet is Ain't Too Proud, The Temptation Story. It is incredible music already, but it is like an incredible story as well. But we've seen The Jersey Boys. We've seen Beautiful, beautiful The Carol King Story. Hannah, I went to see that together. White Christmas. Nothing like seeing that on the stage. And Charlie Brown Christmas and Rudolph Live. And last year in January, right before everything happened, we saw Hamilton at TPAC. When is that going to happen again? You see, Luke really loves his songs. And when you think about it, isn't that true for all of us? You might have a favorite Spotify playlist or a mixtape or an album or a CD. This is Luke's ultimate Christmas playlist. I mean, what, what music gives you chills or goosebumps or stirs your emotions? What's that first song that you play at Christmas no matter what that starts off the season or that song that perhaps when you hear it is like, that's, that's the song? For some, a lot of people, it's White Christmas. I mean, it's the, the, the best-selling of all time when Bing Crosby's voice comes across and you hear those first words from him. That was Christmas for a lot of people, for a lot of years, even on TV. And nothing quite beats a chancel choir singing Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. 
Wow, what a powerful thing. We, we are going to sing that when we get done with this. We are, whatever holiday is closest and whenever we're done, that's we're going to sing it. Whether it's the Easter part or we'll sing the Christmas part. It doesn't want to make any difference, but if it's not Easter, it'll be Christmas. But whatever it is, we're going to do that and sing like we've never sang before. Because I love to sing and I hum every Sunday. These and many other selections never fail to give me the shivers. As it turns out, music-induced chills are a scientifically measurable phenomena. A recent study published in the Journal of Social Psychology and Personality Science revealed that certain songs can trigger activity in a person's hypothalamus. That's the part of the brain that's responsible for hunger and rage and involuntary responses like blushing and goosebumps. So when you're hangry, that's where it comes from. But here's the interesting part. The researchers found that the style and the genre of the music did not determine these responses. What's more important is they termed a person's openness to the experience. One's willingness to be moved by the music. You see, Luke must have known something about the power of music to stir our emotions. Because every time something great happens to someone, they break into song. And McGray says, though Luke's biblical text tells us people have said these things, when you read it, the poetic nature of their expression and speech is more consistent with song. Don't think so? Go back to the Psalms, which are all songs. And very much what they're saying sounds like they're singing. And often these songs emerge from a person's deep well of emotion, accompanied by great joy and awe that's bordering on fear. You see, more than in their counterparts in Matthew, Luke's angels are always telling people not to be afraid. These are not cherubs. They're not the sweet little things that look like this and shoot arrows. These are things that are scary and fearsome. We might say that Luke's gospel was written for people who are particularly open to experience that. Open to the possibility of a surprising word of good news. Open to a new song that will bring joy out of discouragement. Maybe today you heard a song that really helped you to move outside of the place that you were at. So let's burst in the Broadway. Let's look at each one of these songs, beginning with a song out of silence with Zechariah and Elizabeth in chapter 1. Now, Zechariah was an elderly priest who lived under the rule of King Herod. And he and his wife had waited for a lifetime to have a child that had never come despite their prayers. And then one day during the time he was selected from his village to serve God at the temple, the angel Gabriel came to him, terrifying Zechariah and saying this, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son and you must name him John. 
He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice in His birth, for He will be great in the Lord's eyes. And then later, He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord, like we talked about in Mark at the very beginning of the sermon series. I mean, wow! Talk about some good news. You would think that Zechariah had a reason to rejoice, or that his next words would have been, Hallelujah! Or thank you. But here is a lesson in carefully selecting the words you're going to say next when God speaks to you. Everybody listening? Because Zechariah asked in verse 18, How can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. In other words, you've got to be kidding. Are you nuts? Do you know how old we are? I could be dead by the time this kid graduates from college, maybe even high school. But let's be honest. If God came to you in your age, whatever that might be, in your old age, I mean, even at 50, if God came to me and said, you're going to have a kid, our reaction might be that same kind of disbelief. Actually, I know it would be disbelief for me. Susan and I would probably fall on the floor and then pick ourselves back up and go, okay, I, all right. You know, peace on earth? We have that same kind of disbelief. Maybe it's disbelief we struggle with in this season as Christmas rolls around the different time. Where is peace on the earth? You've got to be kidding. What is peace? Where do I find peace? This is a season of hope. I could barely keep my life together now as it is. You want me to hope for something? Or joy? This is 2020. Where is joy? She's at home right now. Hi, Joy. How are you doing? How is it possible? There could be joy in any of this that's happened. It's true. In the midst of the chaos and the frustration, when the good news of Jesus comes to us, we can hardly believe it. Amen? It's hard for us. To which the angel then replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and bring this good news to you. And then a little bit later, But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent unable to speak until the day when these things happen. So suddenly the priest, Zechariah, lost his voice. You ever lost your voice before? How did it feel? Frustrating? Disappointing? Couldn't do the things that you wanted to do? But something happened to Zechariah over the next nine months. In the quiet of his own mind, he had time to reflect and think. And it turns out the silence from the angel was not a curse after all, but a blessing. You see, after the child was born, a disagreement arose over what the child's name should be. You can find that in Luke 1, 57 through 61. This whole story is there. Some said he should be called Zach Jr., while Elizabeth wanted to name him John. But a still silent Zechariah picked up a writing tablet 
and wrote out the words, His name is John, just as the angel had told him. But the thing was, he didn't just show it, he said it. Because he was so frustrated, and he had been loosened at that point, and Zechariah's vocal cords began to sing into a new and purpose-fulfilled life. And then all of a sudden, in Luke, Zechariah bursts in the song like it's on the Broadway stage. And it's an amazing song of praise in which he offers gratitude to God for the gift of his son and the acknowledgement of the impact he will make on the world in Luke 1, 67-79. One part of that says, You, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. And later on, you will tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins. See, we forget about the impact that John had before Jesus came. And what got Zechariah to see his new purpose? It must have been the silence he endured that let him move away from the distractions of his present focus to believe that something can ultimately change his life. McGray says this. He says, Silence is a teacher and it conveys a lesson we must all take to heart, especially at this time of year. What if, what if you and I were as intentional in creating moments of stillness and silence as we are cross-crossing items off of our Christmas to-do list, even in this kind of season? You see, COVID Christmas is actually giving us the gift to do that that we'll probably never get again. So what are you doing this Advent to intentionally create those moments when you have some space, or at least more space, than you've had in probably any previous year of your life. I see so many of you doing that, like I said earlier, online. Using the Advent materials, really focusing in on it. Driving home those lessons with your kids and doing them together, how that makes our hearts smile here. And all the adults who've laid out all of their stuff at home and they've got everything. And yeah, maybe you're behind a little bit. I get it. The calendar on my wall is a couple days late. It's all right. Just keep turning it over. The little windows on the, on the calendar, open a few more door, two doors at a time each day. You can do all these things to make that space for Advent instead of trying to rush around and get ready for that party and rush around and get ready for this event and that event and that thing over here and all of that. The second song on Luke's Christmas playlist is the most famous song in the entire New Testament. It is a song of obedience by the only artist who can sing it best, his own mother Mary. And this song, this song also proves the age-old question, Mary, did she know? Yes, Mary did know. It's a great song, but it's theologically incorrect. Mary did know. And when we meet her, we know little about her except that she is a young girl engaged to Joseph in Luke 1.27. Now later we find out she is a relative of Elizabeth. The Greek term here for relative does not tell us what kind of relative she is. Read the, read the scripture again. But it tells us the songs of Mary and Zechariah are somewhat going to be linked. But notice it wasn't, almost wasn't that way. 
Consider that when the same angel, Gabriel, gave essentially the same news, you're going to be a parent to both Zechariah and to Mary, they both responded virtually in the same way. They said, say what? Say what? 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 Zechariah said it because he was too old. Mary said it because she was too young. And for some reason, Mary was given a second chance. And Zechariah wasn't. Maybe because he knew better being a priest what holy things looked like and could do. But for Mary, Gabriel tried to offer a theological explanation. The one you see on the screen. But perhaps Mary was still unconvinced. So the messenger of God went a step further and offered proof, a sign to which Mary could look for, for reassurance. And Mary received proof in the form of her own relative, Elizabeth. When Gabriel says, look, even in her old age, your relative, Elizabeth, has conceived a son. And this woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Which is the verse that's emblazoned on all the hospitals at St. Thomas, if you haven't noticed, is right from this. It was the verse in my dad's bedroom, my dad's hospital bed the whole time. Nothing is impossible for God. And it must have been that last statement that must have been Mary's tipping point from doubt to belief. Because she, she then said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And McGray says, before Mary's pregnancy became a blessing to the world... Elizabeth's pregnancy was a blessing to Mary. You ever thought about that? That Elizabeth's pregnancy moved Mary to a place of steadfast commitment and trust where Elizabeth, Elizabeth knew it or not. And what's important to know here is that both of these pregnancies illustrate the nature of miracles in the Bible. Because whenever something miraculous happens in Scripture, it is rarely for the benefit of the recipient alone. The miracle is not really for them. When someone in the Bible is blessed, it is so the recipient can become a blessing to others. Amen? That's what we do. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. That is Good Shepherd's secret. It is its hallmark. It is its strength. God honors that. We know very little about Elizabeth's reaction to becoming pregnant, apart from her brief words in Luke one twenty five, where she says, God has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace. And her whole story is told through the perspective of her disbelieving husband. But we do know that Elizabeth became an incredible source of encouragement to her younger relative before she even realized it. And that's why, before we even get to Mary's glorious song, in verses 46 to 55, we see this tender encounter between these two matriarchs in the, of the Advent story. Mary rushed to the Judean city where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. She entered their house, and immediately Elizabeth felt her baby kick inside her in verse 41. And then so as to cement the role that Elizabeth was playing in Mary's life, she offered Mary's powerful words of encouragement, perhaps a song. 
God has blessed you above all women and He has blessed the child you carry. And later on she says, Happy is she who believed the Lord would fulfill the promises He made to her. What do you think it was like for Mary to receive those words from Elizabeth who knew what she was going through because she too bore a child from God? And just as John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus, so it was with their mothers. Elizabeth was the forerunner of Mary, a wise old woman and a young, impressionable girl. And Elizabeth modeled for Mary what it meant to be both a recipient and a conduit of God's miracle. She showed her that when you are blessed by God, you must be a blessing for others during Christmas and every other day. My favorite writer, Charles Dickens, wrote through his characters, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all year long. And that last scene is what set the stage for the most beautiful song in the entire New Testament. Luke 1, 46-55. A song at first that is mostly about Mary. It begins with all my heart, I glorify the Lord in the depths of who I am. I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked at me with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me, like we sang. Because that's my soul, my soul is the Magnificat. That's what it is. But it doesn't take long before there is a major shift in the focus of Mary's song. Because after the first three verses, it becomes less about Mary and more about what God has done for Mary and what God will do through Mary. Holy is His name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors Him as God. And McGray says, Mary's song is critically important to our Advent story because it's a song with two verses. First about Mary being blessed by God, then about God using Mary to bless others. And for those of us who've been given the gift of Jesus Christ, we must bear that gift to others who are in need. Amen? That we can be an Elizabeth to the Marys around us, he says, or a Mary to the world around us. That we can be that gift of encouragement to others so that God's blessing can flow through them as well. And then there's the third song on our playlist. It's a little shorter for today. It's the song of the angels to the shepherds. Angels, shepherds. It's a song of joy fitting for this Sunday, focused on joy, that you know well. And we'll look at Luke 2, 1 through 20, and how the song starts with, don't be afraid, basically on Christmas Eve. But to be sure, the angel's song is full of marvel and spectacle, and the key words of their song pop out like lights in the night sky. Good news of great what? Joy. Joy. The good news of great joy. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. And remind us of the angel's good news told to the shepherds. Savior, glory, peace. These are the words that come through it. And peace, what we've focused on all week. I hope you've enjoyed those devotionals. Peace in our struggles. And so I want to close on this third Sunday of Advent, signifying joy, it reminds us of the angels' good news told to the shepherds. I want you to imagine yourself 
on the hillside where the joyous announcement was made by a sky full of angels. This production could only afford one angel, but there'd be a lot of angels running around him. It's a nativity story, by the way. If you haven't seen that movie, you need to pull it back out. You need to buy it. It's probably one of the best presentations of all the characters in the story. So imagine yourself on the hillside where the joyous announcement was made by a sky full of angels. The joy is possible even in the midst of hardship and discouragement because that angel's announcement came to who? The shepherds. Not only the shepherds, but the night shift shepherds. They are the lowliest of the shepherds because they got stuck with night shift. And where did the angel appear to? Not in the cities, not to Herod, not to anybody, but to these people who are discouraged and broken and the least and the lost. That joy has come to you. So as you watch for joy in the world around you during this season, why don't you surrender the pain and the fear in your life and really live into these words that we read so eloquently all the time and ask God to fill you with the gift of His joy through song through these words, through his life. Choose joy over discouragement. Amen. And so in a way to remember in these words of the Psalms, remember now the Psalm 91 that we read is a song. They are singing this song. And so I encourage you to set an alarm at 9, 10 a.m. or 9, 10 p.m. because we are certainly into the darkest days of this pandemic. And even more so after Christmas in the first part of January. People still gather. The wave of Thanksgiving is hit. Numbers are all over the place. It's always darkest before the dawn. This is no different. But listen to these words as a song now of Psalm 91 that we say. Let's sing them together. Lord, thank you for the rest that comes when I choose to live in your shelter. I declare you alone are my refuge, my place of safety. You are my God. I trust in you. I pray you will protect me and my family from the virus. I pray you will cover me and shelter me. I thank you for your faithful promises that remind you will protect me. Help me not to be afraid of all that I hear and all that I see. Help me not to dread the viruses terrorizing our world. Lord, many are sick and more are fearful and anxious. Pray protection for me, my family, my church, my community, my city, my state, my country, my continent, my world. I pray, Lord, as I make you my refuge, that no evil will conquer us nor come near our home. Pray for protection by your angels wherever I go. Lord, I love you. I trust in you. Please rescue and protect me. Thank you for answering when I call. Thank you for being with me in trouble. Thank you for salvation and the hope of heaven. And everybody both here and at home said, Amen. And that's a Broadway showstopper if I've ever heard one in my life. A song you can truly live by and live into. And so I, I, when I was thinking about things that came to my mind about Mary and about Elizabeth and about Mythicon, there's one song that kept coming back to me that, that I thought that just we needed to hear the words again, that sometimes it got overused there for a while and then it kind of slipped into obscurity and it kind of comes back and forth, but it's Breath of Heaven. And I want you to really listen to these words as if Mary's saying them. 
and what it would really she would be really experiencing as her song of obedience. Help me be strong. 
So hear this benediction inspired by the song of Zechariah and Luke 1. A new day is dawning. Despite what we see and hear in the world around us, the sunrise is coming. When it comes, it will break through the darkness of our world, darkness caused by violence and death and hunger and despair and sickness. And all those who now sit huddled in the shadows will be able to rise and walk with the confidence in the light. So go forth from here and from your homes with courage and hope to love and to serve God. Everybody both here and at home said, Amen. Baby.